Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Tonight, big friggin' animals. It's Triple Threat Theater. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Hey, Mills. Hello. Big animals, big season finale of Triple Threat mm-hmm. Theater season six. Got it. I feel like we're ending with a bang. What bigger bang than big freaking animals? Millsy, when animals attack, 1997's Anaconda, 1999's Lake Placid, and also 1999's Deep Blue Sea. The third theme we ever came up with for the show. I was going to ask, I was like, which number one is this? Because there's been a couple. (laughs) Yeah. Our first idea was um, Beware the Deep. Our second idea was, uh, what was number two? Oh, it was, it came from the 90s. Species Relic. Oh. Phantoms. Yeah. And then, and then this. Man. I mean, that's a solid nine movie lineup. Five hours. Well, you can see where our heads are at. (laughs) Totally. Mills, what kind of history do we have here with tonight's trifecta? Uh, I'd seen them all. Mm-hmm. Anaconda. It's possible I saw it in the theater, but I don't. I can't say that with any certainty. Uh, but had seen it a very long time ago. Remembered liking it. Didn't remember a whole lot about it aside from somebody got regurgitated. Mm-hmm. And um, hadn't seen it in quite some time. Bought it on Blu-ray recently, but didn't get around to watching it until now. Okay. Deep Blue Sea, can confirm, saw in the theater with my grandmother. Yeah. Who I used to go to uh, the movies with a fair amount. I'm sure I've talked about that on the show before. Mm-hmm. And um, remember not really caring for it. Uh, again, didn't remember a lot about it. Only saw it the one time. And uh, Lake Placid, didn't see until somewhat recently. I don't know exactly how long ago. I... I want to say within the last five years, I saw it for the first time. It might have been a little longer than that. Time evades me nowadays more mm-hmm. often than not. Mm-hmm. But um, remember also not being a big fan of uh, like Placid when I last saw it, the one time I saw it. Okay. So, okay. You? Uh, let's see. No, no theater visits for me. Um, Anaconda, definitely seen before. I'd probably say closer on around the time it came out, maybe like one other time, but both, you know, seemingly 20 years ago, at least. Uh, Deep Blue Sea, kind of same situation. I saw it at least once long ago. Um, Have kind of always remembered the giant LO Cool J tie-in. Because he has a ridiculous theme song for it. So mm-hmm. that's kind of always like stuck out to me as like a cultural touchstone of that movie. Uh, Lake Placid. I knew it was a gator flick. Didn't know a single thing else about it. <laughs> Up until watching it now, didn't know who was in it. 
didn't even really know it was an enormous gator. Mm. As big as it's in. I mean, I kind of figured, but no idea relative. I like never saw a second of this movie to tell you who was in it or what happens. So it's actually a pretty good situation. Right on. Yeah, man. We'll get into it more with each movie, but mm. yes, these are all larger than normal versions of these animals. Mm-hmm. So we talked before about spider movies, and I'm thinking specifically of arachnophobia, which, as you'll recall, I was a big fan of. And then there's like, um, you know, Congo, movie I like, movie I know you like. Uh, mm-hmm. Jaws is obviously a classic. Yeah. In general, I wouldn't, like, you know, I love monster movies, obviously, but uh, like the real world animal kind of attack movies or, you know, mutated or, you know, larger than life uh, versions of like real life animals mm-hmm. isn't typically a genre where I would be like, yes, I'm way into that. Um, I've obviously seen a fair number of them, but how do you feel in general? Is this something that you're personally attracted to as far as like a horror movie subgenre? No, I wouldn't even say like attracted to kind of just kind of same thing. I mean, I'm always going to lean towards for horror, like creature fair, but when it's just like a normal run to the animal or big version, like it's that's like uh, so many more factors are going to come into play if it's going to make me excited or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's just um, it's just the way it is that uh, you know, kind of going along with one of our catchphrases here. You've seen the best. Now you have to see the rest. Uh, that if you're into monster movies, creature features, that kind of thing. There's not necessarily in a given year that many great options, and so these movies just kind of by proximity end mm-hmm. up being viewed, and <laughs> hence hence I had seen them all. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's also stuff like Alligator with Robert Farster, which is kind of a fun movie mm-hmm. about a giant alligator rather than a crocodile. Um, you know, there's shit like Sharknado, which we need not speak of. <laughs> Yeah, piranhas. Even, like, even the birds, now that I think mm-hmm. about it, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, is a classic. I I do like that movie. But yeah, just in general, not something that I'm necessarily drawn to, more tangentially than anything. Yeah, same. Like, you know, especially like stuff, plenty of things I just know to avoid of the Sharknado ilk and those kind of things, too. And, you know, I think there's a, been a few modern lousy piranha movies and not that Hmm. these are you know all relative just to um animal flicks but yeah i kind of like that's not enough for me to get like super excited you know like the meg i have not seen that not very good i was about to say there is (laughs) just there is a whole like fandom for just shark movies Mm -hmm. and um I mean, it's tough when you have Jaws as, like, the first one. Of course. And it's so great. And everything else, you know, is trying to stack up to that. And the vast majority of them feel like they have to have some kind of shtick because you can't just be a shark movie. Otherwise, you're in direct competition with Jaws. But I know, Mm -hmm. like, um, what was that one that came out just a couple of years ago about the, like, girl who's surfing and she gets stuck on a rock? Um (sighs) And it's like the tide is coming up. Jeez. Oh, I've seen it too. I think it's Blake Lively's in it. Um, yeah. I remember people like going nuts about how great that one was. And I went to see it and I was disappointed by it. 
Um, there's like those uh, 47 meters down movies or whatever mm-hmm. where the people are like trapped in a cage underwater with the sharks running out of air and obviously all the like ridiculous low budget like shark to puss and all that yeah. sh- shit as well. But I think there was another shark movie where it's just like maybe one or two people like floating. I know Open that. Open like, water. Oh, yeah. That's, I don't think I ever even saw that one. I never saw that one either. Um, I just know not to bother. I don't think I'm going to be like necessarily into it. Yeah. Uh, big fan, you know, growing up, the Jaws, actually Jaws movies were on heavy rotation in the Dax Burger House. Um, see, two, three, and four I did not see until, like, you know, within the last decade when I was like, oh, I guess I ought to finally sit through these. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of two myself. Three is, you know, ridiculous, but I've seen that one potentially more than any other Jaws movie just because I feel like at the time <laughs> it was always on somewhere, somehow, or... Mm-hmm. Maybe that was the one we had on tape. I don't really recall, but yeah, still, I really, I mean, Jaws, forget it. It's, Jaws is yeah. amazing for all the reasons people still talk about it, and, and I'm a fan of Jaws, too. So. Yeah, I mean, the original I've probably seen like 10 plus times throughout my yeah. life, and mm-hmm. two, three, and four I've now seen once each. Uh, I don't remember, I remember bits and pieces of all of them, but. Yeah. I mean, nothing stacks up like the original. Yeah. So that being said, all these shark movies got a lot to live up to. Mm-hmm. Are there any other snake movies you can think of that you've seen? Uh, I've never seen Snakes on a Plane. Oh, which, yes. Of course. Just sticks out. Um, nothing's like jumping to me right now for other snake movies, to be honest. Yeah, no, no, nothing else like snake centric that I can think of. Snakes <laughs> on a Plane didn't even cross my mind. Mm. And then, like I said, Alligator uh, for like the big reptile mm-hmm, movies. Mm-hmm. But. So, I mean, this is just a great idea for a trifecta because it, <laughs> it makes sense. And um, kudos to us because <laughs> I think this was a good time. Having now seen the three of these movies mm-hmm. uh, at, or re-seen them and refreshed your memory on them as it may, as the case may be, if you had to find yourself going up against one of these three creatures, oh, which would you choose? Shit. Um... If like what what's my like best shot at survival? Like let's say you're in each of the three yeah, scenarios. I'm like, like one you're I'm like one of on the, the ocean base with the sharks, you're stuck in the jungle with the snakes, or you are uh like out in the the middle of the woods with mm-hmm. the giant crocs. What's it gonna be? I think as like a slippery son of a bitch, I've got the least the least smallest chance against Anaconda. God, I feel like I feel like I could bob and weave on that on that uh, gator <laughs> or a crocodile. Which one uh-huh. is it, Millsy? It's Break a crocodile. It down the, a crocodile. Science. Um, Here's I mean, my easy way of remembering that there oh. is a movie called Alligator, mm-hmm. and this movie, like Placid, has the other one in it. <laughs> so yeah, I like it. But then, honestly, now that I think, there might actually be a movie called Crocodile, so that logic may not even work mm. out. But Well, one's got Robert Forrester, and this is the other <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, and his, his hair plugs, and this one does not. Uh, how about you, Millsy? I mean, I, I could see if it came down to it, I could see you punching a Great White in the nose <laughs> to, to get it to release you. I mean, I got to be honest, uh, I'd probably say the Crocs as well, just for the, sa- for the reason that... Uh, 
even taking the animals out of the equation, I don't think I want to be on a rundown riverboat in the jungle or mm-hmm. on like a sea base at, at like in the wide open ocean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would feel the most comfortable uh, in the backwoods. I mean, I kind of live there already as it is. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. I like it. I like your hopes for for survival. I mean, that's just like home home turf advantage almost. <laughs> like yeah. I'm, I'm I'm most at home. Yeah. Uh, in and around the woods. So okay. we'll have, we'll have to see how the tonight's casts fared. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's dive in. Uh, movie number one. Anaconda from 1997. Ever work in a sushi bar, Mr. Saron. Paul Saron. Where are you from, Mr. Saron? Paraguay. Really? I started out studying for the priesthood. But then I needed to see the real world. So I ended up in the jungle. I seem to fit. Tell me, what does a failed priest do in the jungle? Fail? Who says I fail? I didn't fail. I'm sure you didn't. Well, what is your calling now? Snakes. Snakes? I catch them. For zoos and collectors. Whatever they want. Poaching? Poaching is illegal. May I ask what, uh, what you're hunting? We're not hunting or trapping anything. We're making a documentary on the Shirishama Indians. The people of the mist? That's right. You've heard of them? I've seen them. Really? You think you could show me where that was? Your people saved my life. This I can do. I can show you exactly where I saw the Shirishama. So slurs every other river rat after five whiskeys in any bar in Manaus. Come on, love it. Five whiskeys. That's breakfast on the river. So I'm thinking, it's I, it's probably been like 1998 since I last saw this. <laughs> like it has okay. been okay. a long time. And like I said, I knew that, uh, like I could have told you, J Lo and Ice Cube were in it. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I remembered that John Voight was like the bad guy, mm-hmm. and I remembered that someone got regurgitated. Okay. That's about all I could tell you about it. I'll tell you what was a complete surprise to me. Owen Wilson's in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, only his third film ever after really? Bottle Rocket and a small part in The Cable Guy. No way. Yeah. Okay. So he was a fresh face in this one. Still figuring it out? What? Uh, maybe a year or two shy of Armageddon, maybe? Yeah, maybe. That was probably like 98 or 99. Somewhere around there. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Um, I remembered going, I was like, remembered all the the players because I've always kind of like, I just like remember John Voight being in it and just like being the quote unquote bad guy. Yeah. Again, J-Lo. Because I remember like from the time, like, well, I watched In Living Color. Not that you could, like, pick out J-Lo, but I always, like, remembered she was uh, one of the fly girls. And then I liked the movie Money Train, which she was in, mm. which I think was maybe even the same year. It, it was right around it, I think it was before this because, like, I looked her up, like, so you watch the movie and, like, I, I have an image in my head of, of J-Lo and, like, what she looks like. And, of course, this is her a little younger mm-hmm. than, you know, we're used to seeing her now, but... 
like my gen- my feeling when I saw her in this was like in modern movies, even if it's supposed to be a normal person in like a gross like swamp kind of situation, mm-hmm. if it's a big star, they're gonna be like dolled up with like tons of makeup and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like J Lo looked like a normal person in this. She didn't look like a like a pop star right. actress. Right. Which really took me by surprise. I mean, they're flaunting her physique a bit, like that first shot of her in that like skimpy, chic nightgown in the beginning. Yep. Where she does that, she stands up and she does that turn so they can get the ass shot. And then she's in a lot of like tight, like tank tops and things. But I was just thinking like, she doesn't look like J-Lo now. Like if they made this movie now and J-Lo was in it, she would look like she just stepped out of a makeup truck, like every shot. For sure. 100%. 100%. And so I was thinking to myself, like, this must be, like, super early in her career. And it kind of is. But, I mean, I was surprised she had done, like, four or five movies and stuff before this. Like Money Train. I can remember Money Train was probably the first thing for sure. And I know, like, she – again, I, I can't remember back to then if she – it was a big deal that she was Selena or not. I think so. Mm. Um, which I think was before this. But, yeah. I she, believe that was the last thing before this. But yeah, yep. she, certainly not a superstar. I don't think she was even putting music out yet. Uh, the cell was a couple years away. Yeah, see, I would have like I I don't know anything about J Lo, but uh, I would I just assumed that she was a musician first, and then like an actress, like a Beyonce or something. I was like, f- oh, from what I I know without checking, I know she was a dancer, and then mm-hmm. movies, and then I think it was more like closer to. 2000 i mean within the year or two after this i think she started putting music out but i mean i will gladly take your word for it because mm-hmm. uh you are much more tapped into music than i am yeah i was heavy so. i was heavy on that trl life at this point so i just <laughs> i was i would come home and from school and just like sit in front of the tv and watch mtv for hours so but yeah so somewhere around there but i think that's a good point you make about you know her her and that she's not it's not like uh j-lo the superstar yeah i was just surprised like you know she surely she's you know they've got makeup people but she she didn't look Mm -hmm. like she was wearing a ton of makeup and i was just surprised i was just like wow i don't know if i've ever seen j-lo look like a normal person like somebody who's that big of a star these days you know oh yeah anytime you ever see them unless it's like a they're walking out to get the newspaper and a paparazzi took a photo of them in their bathrobe like (laughs) anytime they're anywhere be it like at a like a party or a premiere Mm -hmm. or whatever or in a movie or on a show they always look like perfect and in this movie i was like wow i'm a little surprised (laughs) yeah no i'm with you on that so yeah i think she was on you know she was up and coming i mean Ice Cube, super famous, had been mm-hmm. for quite a while. Steps in this for sure. I can always remember like thinking it was. I always can remember thinking it was kind of funny and watching it now. I'm like, he's basically just playing. He's just Ice Cube as Ice Cube, <laughs> like going after you know in the Amazon forest. Which part of me was almost like, I mean, I like the scenario of them filming a documentary. I almost wish he was just like happened to be Ice Cube as Ice Cube would kind of <laughs> add to the the wild uh, setup of this movie. John Voight been around for decades. Just I'm going to come out and say it, Millsy. Some genius casting director put John Voight in this as a Peruvian ex priest. <laughs> 
snake hunter. What a treat he is in this movie. You know, <laughs> I mean, he's absolutely off the fucking hook in this. He's just insane. That accent and the fucking looks he's constantly giving. The and looks I sent you something the other day about what the looks he's. I think he's giving it to like jail's just like sleeping or something, and he's looking at her like <laughs> with that creepy look and just <laughs> he's like I feel like he almost makes this movie. I mean, he's a big part of it. He's like such a big personality in it, and he's like very central right. to the plot. He's he's like the main villain. Yeah, yeah. You don't know who's who's worse, him or the snake. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so when I was researching this movie, I read so many things about like, oh, this person and this person and this person were considered for this role and whatever that like there were so many names flying around. I normally will write down some of that stuff, but I didn't in this case just because, you know, if you believe like IMDb, there were like 30 different people who were supposed to play J-Lo's role. And then like there were 20 different like name actors meant to play John Voight's role. So I just... I didn't write any of it down because I was like, I don't know how much I can trust this. There's just so many. But just the way that the stars aligned for John Voight to be in this role in this movie is he kind of makes it, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, J-Lo's good. She's fine in the movie. Ice Cube adds a lot of character to it. Mm -hmm. It's got a solid little cast. Like, it's fun seeing Owen Wilson in there. Uh, Eric Stoltz, you know, he's out of the movie for a good bit of it, but he's like another recognizable yeah, face. He's laid up for a bit. Um, Even the other f- uh, female character is yeah, uh, that... Carrie Wurr from Eight-Legged Freaks, yeah. which we talked about not terribly long ago. Yeah, she's kind of a that gal actor, actress, yeah. you know, so. But man, John Voight, he's just like such a big personality in this. Like so much, I'm a little surprised that I had completely forgotten it was him in this. <laughs> But I mean, again, I hadn't seen the movie since like the late nineties. Uh-huh. And as soon but... as he showed up, <laughs> just, well, it was a lot of fun because it was almost like watching the movie again for the first time. And mm-hmm. I had completely forgotten all of his like weirdness and eccentricities and facial expressions and accents and everything. Right. So going in, that like, was a lot of fun. So like, what were your thoughts going in versus in the end? Of the movie. Well, like I said, I, I remembered liking it and mm-hmm. I had wanted to rewatch it for a long time and had just never gotten around to it. Um, like I said, I probably within the last year or two bought the Blu-ray with the intention of rewatching it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, I definitely still liked it. Yeah. It's not without its flaws. Uh, like, I again, I didn't remember who directed it. The director's name is Louis Losa. Uh, yeah. I may be mispronouncing that. He's the guy who gave a sniper and the specialist, but he's not like a name that I know. Mm-hmm. I, I think the movie looked fine. I don't think it was like, you know, the, the direction or the cinematography or anything was incredible. If nothing else, I just liked the realistic, like tactile nature of it. Like as I was watching it, um, there were just like some crane shots where it's like the camera's craning down at the beginning of a shot, like past some trees and you see this boat coming towards the camera and that feeling of, I, I know this is all real versus like nowadays, if you see a simple shot like that in a movie, it's probably a green screen background that was filmed on like a back lot with a bunch of like, you know, green screens and shit everywhere. Also true. So I like the look of the movie in general. Not that, like I said, I think the cinematography or the direction is anything amazing, but it just, it has that look that I, I like. And, you know, there is CG in it primarily with, some of the snake shots, but then there's also 
a fair amount of practical snake heads and things, which I really liked. And it's pretty easy to pick out when it's one versus the other, but you know, the, the CG isn't like egregiously used or something. And, mm-hmm. um, so I liked all that. Uh, yeah. All told, I, I had a good oh, time with this. Interesting. You? Well, like my kind of overall feeling of it going in was like, I've seen it. Like I remember bits and pieces. I think mostly just like, was kind of here here nor there. Like it was kind of just like a throwaway nineties movie to me. I was kind of just like expecting like the bad CGI and the whole thing, like just because of the time period and kind of like remembering some of that. Um, Melzi, that being said, I had an absolute fucking blast watching Anaconda <laughs> from 1997. Yeah. Holy shit, this movie's a lot of fun. I mean, we'll get into every movie, but just these these stacked casts of people that are were or going to become popular or were then has bids. Like, I just love that. <laughs> like, the idea of these kind of movies that are just stacked full of cannon fodder, you know, in that up against the unknown. It's kind of like you said, like, you know, the cl- the plot isn't crazy, but there's like great set pieces. I love the grimy ass boat they're on. You know, mm-hmm. they end up at the one like waterfall section. They end up at the, I don't even know what that other thing is, a refinery of some kind at the end. Yeah. I got, I was just like totally into it. I was just having a blast. John Voight, I mean, he makes the movie and it's like, it's a, fever dream idea of a character and casting but it's like <laughs> don't change a fucking thing yeah how they ended up on him for that character i have no idea how i just don't him, i just don't know are him even going for it was he given direction to act like that or was that his idea like <laughs> i want to know so much more about anaconda mm-hmm. that i don't even know if i'll ever get it but like i want to own this on blu-ray now which is like kind of <laughs> mind-blowing towards the end i was like just I would even want to see. I want. I want like the special edition from the Shout Factory of Anaconda to become well, a unfortunately, thing. Unfortunately, no, no such thing exists. You I can doubt. get a bare bones Blu-ray like I have from Mill Creek, but that's about it. No, I want that super edition. Bring everybody back for interviews. Like it's it's worth it. Like yeah. this is so like 1990s. I mean, same thing. Like you mentioned, Congo. I love. Uh, you know, episodes back, the relics. You I mean those those kind of movies from that time period? I just love this shit so much. And I have to make special note of, you know, Milzy, we talked about it in Anaconda. Uh, sorry, arachnophobia. Mm-hmm. I love when a creature has an agenda. <laughs> Revenge, perhaps, or just, you know, smarmy anger, like I feel like this Anaconda had, because I just like, maybe like giggle. I loved the animatronic, practical Anaconda, and it just like looked like an asshole. <laughs> Oh, just like I was, I was dying the whole time watching this. I really like had a blast. I thought there was so much good practical stuff, a lot more than I remembered. So there's less, yeah. less CGI than I remembered, and more practical, which was like such a treat. Yeah, the CG is basically there for like the big wide shots of the snake yeah. running around and like wrapping itself around people. Right. I guess, and it was that kind of like seemingly like the stuff they had to do, like they couldn't do practical. Which I sure, kinda, yeah. And I mean, sometimes it looks a little rough. Like there are, there's oh, like three or four scenes in the movie where it like grabs someone and then it's like winding them up in its body. And 
there's if you really look at it, you can tell it's mm-hmm. like the actor was spinning around and oh, then they yeah. just kind of had to add in the snake around wherever their arms mm-hmm. were. And sometimes it looks a little funny, but whatever. I mean, it all still works. Yeah. It looks pretty good, the CG as well. It's like used well in a way, unlike with the thing that we always rip on, which is the end of species, where it just doesn't look like it fits. Right. And if anything in this one, it's like the animation is good. It's just like the like the end result. It's not as refined as stuff is now, but at least like it looks like it could be real. It just it doesn't have the like the fit and finish of a yeah. modern film. And I just can't emphasize enough, like, you know, there was surely stuff that they filmed on sets for some things, like probably blowing up the bridge and uh or the gate. And like uh, some of the like indoor stuff at the end and indoor scenes inside the the raft and everything. But how much of this movie was shot like actually on a river versus like I've only seen parts of it. Uh, but that new Jungle Cruise movie that The Rock is in. Yeah. I would bet that there's not a 90 single... percent of that film was just on a green screen. Oh, yeah. I was going to say I haven't seen it, but I I would be sure <laughs> you could tell me there's none of it on water and I'd believe that. I saw part of the like climax of that movie and it just looks like what you'd expect. Yeah. But yeah, like Anaconda was probably made at like a, the perfect time. Yeah. Which probably like in the Florida Everglades or something like yeah. whatever, but it looks it looks and feels perfect. It's like all the setup stuff is great. It's all you know, a cast of characters that's all different, you know. And then he got that fucking John Voight. It's just <laughs> I mean, he's poisoning people. He's putting wasps in people's <laughs> putting wasps oxygen in, um, supply, like meth mouthpieces for yeah. oxygen tanks. I mean, yeah. he's just a villain, and that's like you're actually up against this enormous snake. But who's worse? I just love. It. I mean, it's just so good. <laughs> You've got Jonathan Hyde in there as like the stuck-up rich guy who yeah. was also in the Mummy. Yep, yep. As a similar kind of character, I know you didn't watch it, but he was like. Uh, a big character on uh, Guillermo del Toro's The Strain show. So well, he's a- also in Crimson Peak, right? So it's it's fun to always like see older stuff now, being like where I see like seeing him pop up where I didn't really know him as much, but know him more, mm-hmm. so much more from watching The Strain. And uh, like going right along with like what we were saying about how practical the movie is and everything. Like something I don't know if you caught this, I noticed it. <laughs> And then I, I read other people talking about how they saw it online. Uh, there's a shot right after, like, the big action set piece where the raft gets, like, stuck near that waterfall. And um, the guy we were just talking about, uh, Jonathan Hyde, gets killed. And uh, Eric Stoltz stabs John Voight's character in the back with that dart. And then he falls off the boat. At the end of that scene, when the boat is, like, pulling away... Did you catch what was going on in that shot? No. It was a, they played it in reverse, like to show the boat going away instead of in. I guess they didn't have a shot of the boat, like moving the direction they wanted it to. And since the waterfall was in the background, the waterfall was moving backwards. Nice. (laughs) And it's like, they left it in the movie, which is something like you'd never see now because probably A, they wouldn't have shot in front of a real waterfall. And Mm -hmm. B, if they had, they would have gone on and fixed it with CG. But this was just like, you know, a three second shot and they were just like, eh, no one will notice. And if I they do, who it. cares? I love it. <laughs> that just adds to the charm. Well, yeah, I had to rewind it and be like, did I just see what I think I saw? Oh, that's good. <laughs> yep. Waterfall definitely flowing upwards. Uh, here's a wild piece of trivia for you. Mm. 
This movie has three credited writers. One of them hasn't done a whole lot, a guy named Hans Bauer. But the other two writers, Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr., have one of the most bizarrely varied uh, filmographies of all time. Oh. In addition to writing Anaconda, they also wrote Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, Dick Tracy, Turner and Hooch, The Secret of My Success, Legal Eagles, and these are the guys who created and wrote Top Gun. Damn. Wrote Anaconda. (laughs) That's like so, those careers are what's like so wild to me when we hear about them on the show of just be like, these varied ideas of people to just like chart out these scripts. It just blows my mind. Yeah. Just those guys invented Top Gun, which is like a huge cultural phenomenon. And then years later, they also write Anaconda, which I think might be like the last thing that they did. Oh. I think one of them might be dead now. I, oh, I don't remember exactly, but yeah, well, I thought that was pretty wild because I saw Top Gun and I was like, oh, were they just like one of a bunch of credited writers? Nope. Those are the guys who created Top Gun. Geez. They made Maverick and Goose. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. And Terry and Danny. <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, the script on this is fine, clearly. It's a good good setup for a story, but like so much of the magic of this one is everything else that it's just like it's like the perfect melting pot of like a late nineties monster movie to me. Yeah, I mean this could have gone really wrong if like like that John Voigt role like is so important that mm-hmm. it, you know, jumps off the screen, which it totally does, and it could have been way worse and probably would have dragged the movie down but yeah i mean that's i mean i do think it makes it but it makes i don't know if it lifts up the rest of the movie or what but it just makes it so Mm -hmm. so fun it's just so crazy to be like god i I just want to like meet someone who has no idea of this movie but you know like maybe knows movies or something but oh i just never seen anaconda never seen it's like me for lake placid doesn't know who's in it or anything like i just want to watch it with that person (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just to look at John Voight's face, like, he just looks like a fucking villain. Yeah. Like, to the point where I'm sure I've seen something where he plays, like, a good guy or a normal person, Mm -hmm. like Midnight Cowboy, but, like, all I can picture when I look at his face at this point in his career is a bad guy. Yeah. I mean, got this, got Mission Impossible, any of the state. Oh, yeah. Bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. He just looks evil. Just looks like an evil (laughs) grandpa. (laughs) the largest recorded anaconda in the real world was uh 17.1 feet long which ain't no slouch Mm. what is he 40 feet in this i think uh there are two big ones in this movie the bigger of which is supposed to be 40 feet long so it's a lot of snake we're talking more than double Mm -hmm. true recorded size So like I said, there was a lot of weird casting stuff that I saw online, and I don't know how much of it I believe. This I had to write this one down, though, just because it sounds so insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this is just something I read on IMDb. I, I don't honestly know if I believe that this is true. But according to what I read, uh, Ice Cube's role was originally offered to Chris Farley. Oh, wow. Who accepted, but then couldn't do it because of scheduling conflicts with Beverly Hills Cop. Or Beverly Hills Ninja, sorry. Uh, now, can you imagine Chris Farley, like, chopping the giant snake in the head with an axe at the end, and then as it, like, falls to its death, yelling, bitch? <laughs> no, that's <just> so crazy. <laughs> oh. It's just hard to imagine him sliding into that ice cube roll. Yeah. 
But like you said, Ice Cube is so much playing Ice Cube that I'm sure they didn't write the role that way. I'm sure that when they got him, that's yeah. just like it transformed into For sure. his attitude and his like, you know, speech uh, patterns and everything. Just adds to the magic. Yeah. Uh now we come to what for all three movies is going to be one of my favorite parts of our discussion. Oh. The sequels. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I'll go ahead and say I've seen none of these. Doesn't this one have something like some Anaconda something, something Blood Orchid or some shit? Yes. The Ooh. first sequel, Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid, released okay. in 2004 theatrically, which surprised me. Wow. I don't remember who it was, but on one of the many movie podcasts that I have listened to, I heard an interview with the person who came up with the idea for this sequel. And I don't remember all the details. I didn't read too much into it because I could have spent hours just reading about these sequels that we are not like directly discussing. But there's something about like there's this orchid that uh, like is deep in the jungle that has like regenerative capabilities. So like the snakes are dying and coming back to life or something like that. And that's what the whole movie's about. (laughs) Sci-fi snakes. (laughs) Uh, So like I said, this one's theatrical, directed by Dwight Little, who gave us Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. Uh, probably the, well, probably the second best, um, Steven Seagal movie marked for death. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also directed rapid fire Damn. with, uh, Brandon Lee, Brandon Lee, uh, free Willy Two: the adventure home and murder at 1600 with Wesley Snipes. Damn. And, uh, features Morris Chestnut from boys in the hood and a small role in under siege Two: dark territory. True. Uh, A second sequel, Anaconda 3 Offspring, came out in 2008, direct-to-video. Okay. Directed by Don E. Fauntleroy. That's a fake name. (laughs) Who coincidentally also gave us the Steven Seagal films Today You Die, Mercenary for Justice, and Urban Justice. Oh boy, I like them already. And starring... What a one-two punch. David Hasselhoff and John Reese davies Stop. <laughs> Man, John Reese davies for being like uh, in the Lord of the Rings movies and Indiana Jones, he has done, he has had a career full of just low-budget turds. <laughs> just like if you dig even like a couple feet into his uh, filmography, there is some garbo in there. Dig a couple feet. I like it's a grave. I love it. <laughs> And then uh, it was actually filmed back-to-back with Anaconda 3 Offspring. We have the fourth film, Anaconda's Trail of Blood, from 2009, also direct-to-video. Once again, directed by Don E. Fauntleroy. They're out here filming Anaconda movies back-to-back. Oh, yes. Back-to-back yes, productions. I think it was in, like, they filmed, like, the third and fourth ones in, like, Bulgaria or something oh, as well, I was geez. reading. Okay. David Hasselhoff was supposed to also be in this one, but he dropped out after filming the third one for some reason. Mm, interesting. But uh, John Reese davies stuck around. Jeez. And there is one more Anaconda movie, but I'm going to save that for a little while and we'll talk about it in a bit. I like it and already. You'll okay. know why when we get there. Perfect. Uh, but as recently as January 2020, Sony Pictures has announced a reboot in development with uh, the writer of Snow White and the Huntsman and the 2014 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, Evan Doherty, attached. Okay, Evan. 
I feel like this is a franchise we don't need to reboot. Like, no, not at all. Is that Michael Bay Ninja Turtles movies from 2014? The first one, yeah. Holy shit! I told okay. you, man. Time is just a vague concept anymore. Yeah, seriously. Okay. <laughs> uh, I do remember this movie being pretty big at the time, uh, like yeah. pretty popular, and like all my friends saw it. And it had a budget of forty-five million, which is kind Ooh, of a lot. I feel that sounds like a ton for ninety-seven. Ninety-seven, like must have been. I don't know, like that CG or I don't, I don't know, like Voight? We, yeah, maybe. Like we were saying, uh, you know, J Lo still wasn't like mm-hmm. the biggest name in the world or anything, so I doubt a whole lot of that this was for is her. Like but post Friday for Ice Cube, I bet he got a decent paycheck for this. Yeah, maybe. So yeah, budget of forty five and box office of one hundred and thirty six point eight. Hell yeah, I so. love it. Big big success for Anaconda. <laughs> I am surprised that it took them like seven years to do a sequel. Yeah, you'd figured someone would have pushed that forward a lot quicker. Yeah, but then again, I mean, even in the nineties, that wasn't the thing to like do a sequel like two years later. Right. That was more of a like. That's true. Early 2000s superhero movie concept, I feel. I bet they had to, some money got sunk into building sets, too, because you know that they had to have built that boat, build a set for the boat, build that mm-hmm. refinery thing. Yeah. They could dump some money there. CG. Mm-hmm. You know, 90 CG had to have been expensive. Yeah, I did. Man, I wish I wrote it down. I, I want to say I read the statistic that... um. It was like every second of the CG in the movie cost like $100,000 or something. Jeez. I believe it. Like it was it was a lot. And the funny thing is, if you really stop and think about it, a movie like this, like, I don't remember, this movie's probably like an hour and 45 minutes long or something. And it's about these, like, giant killer snakes. And, you know, they don't really pop up much until the second half of the movie. And then they're obviously there during a lot of the climax. But all three of these movies... It's like one of those things, like if you read enough, like I do for the show, if you read enough uh, trivia pages on IMDb, mm-hmm. there are people who just spend all their lives seemingly just finding and writing down the weirdest stats. Like there are people who will just like list all the different real guns that appear in like movies like this. Mm-hmm. Like this film featured this exact kind of gun and that exact kind of gun. There's people who will do that shit for cars. Oh yeah. Like, oh, this movie had featured this car and that car. And I'm just reading these things thinking, why is this in the trivia? Like who really cares who needs this information? But then you'll also find like uh for I think all three of these movies, and again I didn't write these details down but people will uh, make note of the exact amount of screen time that like the giant snakes have in this movie. And inevitably it only ends up being like five or six minutes of screen time in the whole film, which blows my mind. But I mean, so there, there, what couldn't have been like a ton of CG in this, but uh, Mm -hmm. it still cost a lot. (laughs) Yeah. But you could say that about like kind of anything like, uh, even like Marvel movies, like amount of time, like Iron Man's actually like armored up in any, any given Iron Man movies, probably not nearly as long as we think it is. Yeah. It's just crazy to think that like, you know, this movie is called Anaconda and there's like two giant killer snakes in it. And that's what the whole movie hinges on. But most <laughs> right. of it is just like the characters talking. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love that. That's like, I always catch that kind of stuff a lot. Like anytime I watch sports ball, there's always, you know, they'll hit you with the weirdest 
statistics about things, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, those are all over the world. That's someone's job or someone's hobby to figure out. Yeah. The gun one just always gets me because I'll just be scrolling through reading and then all of a sudden someone is just like some gun nut was like, you know, I I knew every gun that was in this movie and I wrote them all down on the trivia. And then it's like on IMDb under the uh, each trivia tidbit, there's a thing that says like X number of people out of Mm -hmm. X number of people found this helpful or interesting. I I think it might be helpful. Right. Yeah, I think it's helpful. And there's so many of them where it's like one out of like 18 people found this helpful or interesting (laughs) or whatever. I just, uh, I don't know. That stuff. It's something I never noticed or thought about any of these things, but because of this show, I read a lot of those pages and love it. I just find it funny. Love it. Well, <sighs> All right. Anything else about uh, Anaconda or more specifically John Voight? No. I mean, I could go on and on about John Voight, but let's <laughs> How about up. that part where he gets regurgitated? Like, I was waiting for that the whole movie. Like, as the ending is happening, I'm like, someone gets regurgitated. I know it. Right. <laughs> I remembered that, but can't really remember the context. Did not remember that he winks at J-Lo after it happens or that he just ends up seemingly gets blown up. Yeah. You know, that was like the last time we see him. But he looks awfully gross, which is great. I do love the fact that the movie opens with like text on a black screen. Yeah. Explaining that anacondas regurgitate their prey just because they wanted to have that scene at the end of the movie. And if they didn't have that at the beginning, viewers would be sitting there thinking, why did that snake just throw that man right. up? That's a, that a great catch because it's 100% <laughs> why that happened. This is funny to me. Fucking love it. Love it. What a light, <laughs> lightning right. in a bottle. Anaconda. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is exactly why they shouldn't do a reboot. No. All right. Let's talk um, Crocs, baby. <laughs> Second movie, uh, like you said, Deep Blue Sea and Lake Placid both came out in 1999. They actually came out like a week uh, apart, two weeks apart. Yeah. Uh, Deep Blue Sea was July 28th. Lake Placid came two weeks earlier on July 16th, 1999. Big animals on a on a heater in July 98. (laughs) Suddenly, I feel a bit foolish here. Holy Spirit of Sobek. Holy Ghost. Holy shit. Hector! Just turn the ignition. Fuel injected. Circumstances biting my head off might seem viable. Yeah, like I said, I I saw this at some point. Probably streamed it. Like I w- I would guess I watched it like five years ago for mm-hmm. uh, Shocktober or something. It wasn't super long ago. Yep. And just remember watching it and thinking, man, this movie is like really corny and just like not working for me mm-hmm. and did not have super fond memories of it. Mm-hmm. On a rewatch, a lot of times I feel like this could happen because A, I'm watching these movies with like potentially a more critical eye because I know I'm going to be reviewing it or B, because it's like it's now part of like a uh, – like a like a lineup or like a theme mm-hmm. that it's like I'm just in the zone of that theme because I'm watching three similar movies. But 
I found that my opinion of this movie on this rewatch is the exact opposite of the first time where it is really campy and corny and like has some odd humor and things. But I feel like the first time I watched it, I just didn't get what they were doing. And this time I'm like on the right page to understand it because Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed this movie this time. Uh, As a first time watch, how did you feel? I think like, to what you're saying about like either you're we can sometimes be super critical or like on the same page or you know like feeling the flow i think like a trifecta like this even to me at whatever point when i was watching this i was like think of it's just like it's like grading on a curve because they're so they're all so similar <laughs> yeah that it's like i'll say i mean i was just in the mood for big animals cuz i had a good time with this <laughs> Yeah, this is a movie that, like, I I don't think you can really take it 100% seriously. And maybe that was my problem the last time I watched it. I was just like, I want a horror movie, like yeah. a monster movie. Right. And it is that. But honestly, this movie kind of falls into that same can- – and I, I can't – as I'm about to say this, I can't believe I didn't like it the last time because it kind of falls into that same camp of something like Tremors or Killer Clowns from Outer Space mm-hmm. where it is – acting as the kind of movie that you expect it to be but it's also aware of the kind of movie that it is and it's having fun with it at the same time i mean these are not unlike any like of the b movies from the 80s that we know and love you know just like a decade later it's like the same the same blueprints for things we love it's i kind of think the same like i feel like had i seen this when i was younger or even like not even so much when it came out, but, you know, 10 years later or something, I probably would have shit all over it and just not even thought that highly of it. Probably like I used to think of Anaconda. But, mm-hmm. you know, as tastes change or as just, um, you know, actually something I, I chalk up to the show is just like, you know, appreciating movies in a different way now mm-hmm. than, you know, potentially in the past where, you know, it was your you're coming into your adulthood and you're having certain tastes and all that. But now just like we've been doing the show for so long, we've watched so many things. It's like, you could kind of just have a good time with yeah. so many of these movies. Like when they're seen, you know, quote unquote, not that good. Or if you're, if you're in the right mood, like I was with this trifecta, I was like, I had a friggin' blast with everything. you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I just dig the vibe of this one that, you know, it it's it's kind of similar to Anaconda in that like you know there's unexplained deaths and then they call in the uh, experts and it ends up being this little team of mm-hmm. like the people from out of town who don't necessarily gel a hundred percent with the locals and right um, oh yeah like the the sheriffs and the uh, game and fish and game people hate each other it's like yeah and then you bring in like the uh, the city. Uh, like in, intelligent, like museum woman yeah. who's not normally out in the field, and then she's just like doesn't like yeah. bugs and doesn't like the right. outdoors. It's like and... a, a, a random, you know, eccentric millionaire croc hunter. Yeah, like once he comes into the picture, Oliver Platt's character, like that is, I feel like the make or break point. Like everything else is like very, it's very much in the tropes of the genre and mm. this like mishmash of like a, a group of people mm-hmm. who don't belong together. But then he's like so ridiculous and over the top. Mm-hmm. I feel like he could have been part of what broke it for me the last time. But yeah, this time I just like embraced him and the whole dynamic of like 
Oliver Platt, Bill Pullman as kind of like the straight man, Bridget Fonda and uh, Brendan Gleeson as like the, you know, it's funny that he, who's like a, like a Scottish actor, I mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. he's playing like the kind of southern redneck right. <laughs> sheriff. Right. Just what an incredible dynamic that the four of them have together. Yeah. Like, you know, like I said about all these movies, but just like these these casts of up and coming or has been or super popular at the time, like this was another one. I already sat through the other two movies, you know, and it's like um, I always forget the Gleason guy's name, but I was like, hey, it's that guy because it opens, you know, this movie kind of kicks it right off with some gator murder. So mm-hmm. he's in the first scene, you know, that's happening, I think. Bridget Fonda they might show next, which I was like, hey. I was like, okay. And then the the president shows up. I was like, no, I'm <laughs> so stoked when <laughs> saw Bill Pullman. I was like so happy. I was like, it was amazing. Yeah, Bill Pullman um joining the repeat offenders list uh as he was in Serpent in the Rainbow, The Grudge, and Lake Placid now. Mm, nice. But also from this film, Brendan Gleeson, who was in AI and The Raven and now Lake Placid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like a good time. Big stacked cast, you know, lots of cannon fodder. Freaking Betty White. That was <laughs> right. out of complete left field. I was like, this old uh, talking like a sailor Betty White out here. Yeah, like, I don't know if this is where it began, but like, she definitely in her later years got this kind of stigma about her of like, yeah, she's old, but she will also like say and do any crazy thing. And like, she had this like weird, like friendship with Ryan Reynolds, you know, in, in the last couple of years of her life or whatever. And mm-hmm. like, she would say weird things and <laughs> be in funny videos and stuff like that. I'm not sure if this is where it started, but I feel mm-hmm. like it could be. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it was it was kind of like totally left field for me, her showing up. I will say I'm kind of glad they like didn't hold on to that twist with her because I actually I like only for the reason that it was Betty White. And I was like, what happened? To, I was like, I know Betty White's got to show up again. I was like, watch. I bet she I bet this is her gator. It's like something <laughs> to do. I just kind of and I never figure these things out. But I was like, I just had a feeling. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad it wasn't like, you know, right at the. And the final six minutes that they reveal it, she's been feeding this thing all along. It's maybe a little bit past the halfway point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's fun to see here and there. I mean, the, the, again, this one's like a mix of CG and practical as well. Yeah, there's some great like uh, close up shots of the oh, uh, giant. Gator. They had like the giant gator head for yeah. certain scenes yep. that was practical, which is great. Mm-hmm. I found. Early on, I was like, wasn't like totally into Bridget Fonda's character, but I guess she's pretty extreme, kind of like Oliver Platt. Yeah, it was like a little too. I felt her being a little too much. I think as everything came together, that softened. But you know, it was funny. Like watching it, I was like thinking she was a bit much. I think she gets knocked out of something at least three or four times, either a boat <laughs> or whatever, a vehicle. Like she just gets knocked around by this gator the entire movie. She also has two heads land on her. True. True. <laughs> and that's something else about this movie is like as much as it is kind of like a lighthearted, fun, goofy, like I easily think you could call it a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. It 
goes there a couple times with like the gore, uh, like that opening scene where uh, Brendan Gleason's like pulling the scuba diver onto the boat, and then like he just pulls up a top half of a guy (laughs) with the intestines hanging out. Yeah, Uh, and there's you know severed body parts and things a couple of different times, and Mm -hmm. uh, I think that probably a lot of it comes from the fact that it's directed by Steve Miner. Who gave us uh, Friday the Thirteenth Parts Two and Three? Oh, and uh, also Halloween H Two O, and um, uh, he also directed House. Oh, the horror comedy. Tony Sinai's favorite. Yeah, and also directed Forever Young. Oh, with Mel Gibson. Oh, of course. Been a while for that one for me. Um, yeah, same. I mean, again, I mean, I've said it. I don't know if I've said it on the show or off the show about, you know, the 2000s kind of <laughs> not being the best decade, but like the ni- 80s and 90s were so good. And we were still getting movies like this where I think that certainly has stopped. Like if there was a giant gator movie now, it would be all CG. And I don't think it would be as gory as this is. Yeah. Well, just a couple years ago, we had, they're not giant gators, but there was that movie Crawl. Oh, yeah. Which I remember like seeing the trailers and thinking this doesn't look that good. And then hearing the greatest things about it. It was just like that shark movie we were talking about with Blake Lively. Um, the Shallows, is that what that was called? That sounds like it could be right. It's like The Shallows or The Reef or something like that. But like both of those movies, I remember seeing the trailers and thinking, eh, this doesn't look great. And then hearing from people like, oh, it's so good. And with that Blake Lively shark movie, watched it and was like underwhelmed and disappointed. And same thing with Crawl. Like, I think it had a good idea where it's like a, a hurricane or whatever. In oh, like it's a, a good coastal idea. Town yeah. And like water rises and crocodiles are like in people's houses or whatever. Like, I think it's a good idea. But at the end of the day, I just didn't think the movie was super successful. But I don't, I don't know if that's like... Both of those movies weirdly feel like they're trying to be a little more realistic than something like this, where it's just like giant gator. Right. But then at the same time, that shark one ends with like the shark on fire, like jumping out of the water. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe in 10 years or 20 years, I'll go back and I'll rewatch those and really like them. Like, <laughs> like, like I do with here. Yeah. Lake Placid and Anaconda. But yeah, I think the point that you make is pretty good in that, like, I think I would have and did. Uh, look at movies like this from this time period, like in the 90s or shortly thereafter as like, ah, these aren't that great. But it's like now seeing the kind of stuff we usually get these days, it's kind of a breath of fresh air. Like it took time for me to realize like how decent these types of movies we were getting at the time were, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, us as people, like we like a good amount of schlock, which these Mm -hmm. are. And then nowadays... I don't know if it's the filmmakers or the industry, but like it feels like people could take an idea like Lake Placid, but it has to be like elevated. So that's how you end up with the cr- yeah. crawl or whatever. Everything feels like it has to either be like too realistic and mm-hmm. serious or just completely over the top, right. like ridiculous and silly, sure. like The Meg, for example. Exactly. Yeah, there's. And a- again, like this movie, Lake Placid, is pretty ridiculous, but. Yeah, like looking at it again now, I feel like there's more to it than I realized the first yeah. time. No, it's I mean, it's a good time. And I mean, Crocodile created by Stan Winston Studios looks really good. Oh, they made the head? It was I think they actually made a full body. So like oh. that scene at the end where it's on the the truck like where after oh, they've knocked yeah, it out. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure that's real. I bet it is. 
But yeah, like the, all the the heads for the close ups and everything, the animatronics were all Stan Winston Studios. The CG doesn't look bad in that climax either. Yeah, it's it's similar to Anaconda, where it's like it's obviously aged and it's not perfect. But mm-hmm. all things considered, it's not on screen a lot. Um, and there's like one little sequence where it's like running around on land, but. Uh, you know, it it works. It's effective. It doesn't like take me out of the movie or anything. I think this is uh two examples too of like directors or whoever like knowing to like keep like quick shots, quick cuts. So it's like mm-hmm. you're not, and it's not again. It's not like the two thousands where I think people thought stuff looked a lot better than it actually did, so they overdid it. Yeah. So. And these are both cases. Like one thing I do like about like Placid is the the majority of the movie takes place in the daytime. Mm, mm-hmm. this climax does take place like at night or at dusk. And I think it's kind of smart because they knew they were going to have to show the whole thing. Yeah. So like when it's on land, it can be pretretty dark, but there are like truck lights and things like mm-hmm. it. It's not like <laughs> again, uh, the end of species where you have like fully CG thing running around yep. with like kind of crappy like animation and then just that like firelight glinting off of it, which mm-hmm. makes it like separate from the backgrounds too right. much. And right. yeah. it feels like they, you know, they they planned and knew how to utilize the CG they had mm-hmm. at the time. Well, I'm with you. But yeah. All around like Placid surprisingly good time yeah like had a lot of fun great i mean that stacked cast counts and it was good Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean oliver platt a lot of fun brendan gleason like the two of them playing off of each other was great they actually had some great real good dialogue bits just kind of shitting on each other throughout the whole movie and it's like you know neither of them are necessarily the characters you'd think you'd like the most like one is kind of like the you know, the no-nonsense kind of close-minded southern sheriff, and then the other one is, like, completely over-the-top, unrelatable, like, rich, eccentric nut job. Mm -hmm. But then throughout the movie, they both have instances where, like, Brendan Gleeson's character lightens up a bit, and you like him a little more, and Oliver Platt's character, you find out a little more of his deal, and he has a couple more serious moments. Like, honestly, I think the weakest link of the cast is Bill Pullman. And I mean, he is kind of playing the straight man, but how do you feel about this? Like, uh, you know, we saw him recently in the grudge, Mm -hmm. but like in general, aside from where he's the president, like a tertiary character in independence day. Like, I don't know if I love Bill Pullman as an actor. I think he's kind of milquetoast and I mean, dull. (laughs) I'm trying to even just like, think. does he have, well, one thing I can think of outside of any of those previously mentioned is like Spaceballs, where he has like more mm. of a personality. Yeah, see, I've never really liked that movie, so I guess that one just doesn't factor for me. I mean, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I think it's he cert- plays a certain kind of character. Like, he could not play the Oliver Platt character. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so, but for like just a, the straight man, like, I like him as the straight man, but yeah, I don't know if he's carrying anything. I don't, I actually. I sat through that miserable Independence Day sequel that he <laughs> yeah, was in. Resurgence. That, yeah, that he was in. That just yeah, it does nothing. I mean, I'll I'll give him the props. Like I think he's perfectly fine in an ensemble cast. You know. Yeah. But yeah, he's not. Uh, he's pretty one note. But 
I just even like like the relationship that grows oddly between Oliver Platt and Brendan Gleeson where like the two of them like hate each other at the beginning and then they almost respect and understand each other by the end after they've been through something like mm-hmm. I almost think their relationship is better than the Bridget Fonda Bill Pullman oh, relationship totally. where the end of the movie it's like yeah he's the straight guy and she's the like female lead and you know they're in it together a fair amount but she's also spending just as much time with like Brendan Gleeson and Oliver Platt Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the movie when like plots resolved we've got like five more minutes to go and they're standing around having that like awkward like well is he gonna Mm -hmm. ask me out or something and then like you know they have that moment where she goes and he slides the bag over and then he's mm-hmm. just like get in the truck or whatever. Like I, in that moment I was like, I don't buy that she's that into him <laughs> or that this is going to work. Like, I just feel like they didn't put in the work to make it seem like that relationship was going to happen. Like that's yeah. just the way these movies end. Right. Like you assume when tremors ends that, uh, mm-hmm. you just assume that Kevin Bacon and the female lead are going to get together, you know? Right. But like the two of them have more charisma. I feel Yeah. That's a good point. I think it's pretty spot on. I don't think. Uh, I mean, Bill Pullman's fine, but yeah, yeah I, I don't. They don't. They don't put it. They don't put in enough of the the work to really sell that. But it's kind of like the, you just expect it with the movie. He really yeah. is just the straight man in this. Like, I feel like yeah. you could have swapped him out with uh, plenty of other actors, and it wouldn't right. have mattered at all. True. Whereas I feel like the other three kind of bring something to yeah. their roles. Oh yeah, for to sure. them. Which thankfully they're there. It's not just. It doesn't just hang on the the romantic leads. Yeah. I even thought it was weird at the end. You know, Oliver Platt is like the animal lover or whatever. And he's the one who's trying to be like, we don't have to kill the crocodile. And uh, Bill Pullman is the one who keeps saying, just shoot it, shoot it, blow it up. And even um, Brendan Gleeson, who's like, again, supposed to be kind of like the redneck, I just want to kill this thing, like Southern Sheriff. He even has a moment where he's like aiming and then he kind of lowers the gun and he looks at Bill Pullman and he's like, do we have to? Mm. And Bill Pullman keeps saying like, kill it, shoot it. <laughs> and the, you know, Bridget Fonda's like pleading with him. And even in that moment, I'm like, why are they making him the bad guy all of a sudden? And he does end up like taking a gun and shooting it. And it's like, oh, it was a tranquilizer dart. But <laughs> right. right up until that moment, he was telling Brendan Gleeson the guy with the giant explodey gun right. to shoot the crocodile. I, I, yeah. it, it was just weird to me. Like it didn't feel like he should have been that one. If anything, it feels like it should have been Brendan Gleeson and Bill Pullman as the like wildlife guy should have been trying to talk him down along with Oliver Platt. I don't know. That's a good point too. Yeah. A couple of weird decisions there for me, but mm-hmm. this movie written by a guy named David E. Kelly who, if that name sounds familiar, there's a good reason. It's a, it's a TV name, isn't it? Mostly, yeah. So he did write Mystery Alaska in addition to this, but he's also the creator of Doogie Howser, M.D., Picket Fences, Chicago Hope, The Practice, Alley McBeal, Boston Public, Boston Legal, mm. and like 20 other TV shows. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like I've seen that name plenty of times. And again, how weird is it that like he's the guy who creates all of these like kind of like lawyer and procedurals? Yeah, and then he also writes this goofy-ass fucking monster <laughs> killer, movie. Killer Croc movie. I yeah. love it. Hollywood, man. Fuck crazy. <laughs> My fun animal stat for this one is that the largest crocodile ever in captivity was 20 feet, 3 inches long. And the big crocodile in this movie is supposed to be 32 feet long. That's a lot of croc. Yeah. It's pretty big. 
Mills, do you own any Crocs? Do I own any Crocs? Yeah, the ones you put on your feet. Oh, the the footwear? No. Yeah. Okay. All right. No. Ca- carry on. Uh, thank you for asking. <laughs> do you own a live crocodile? <laughs> well, for a moment, I was like, "Is that what he's asking me?" <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have one in the bathtub down the basement. <laughs> now I flushed mine down the toilet years ago. Oh man. Uh, yeah. it's currently uh, it's currently attacking it's a, yeah, Robert all- Forster's children somewhere. <laughs> there you go. Sequels. For like Ooh, plastic. Yeah, here we Get go. ready for some fun. I'm ready for like some real solid subtitles. <laughs> all right. So 2007, made for TV. Pretty much all of these like sci fi channel got their hands on this franchise. Mm-hmm. Lake Placid 2, directed by David Flores, who gave us such titles as Boa versus Python. Jesus. The Immortal Voyage of Captain Drake and Invasion Roswell. <laughs> and starring John Schneider, who played Bo Duke on the Dukes of Hazard, and Cloris Leachman. Yikes. 2010, three years later, also direct to TV. Uh, Lake Placid 3, directed by a guy named Griff First. Fake name. Who... If you look him up on IMDb, his photo does not look like a director. He looks like a Jersey Shore wannabe on like a dating app. Oh, <laughs> okay. Are you familiar with uh, Asylum Pictures? Mm, should I be? It's like the low budget direct to video uh, film company that, like, when Transformers is about to come out, they quick uh, make a really yeah. cheap, shitty movie and call it Transmorphers so that people at Redbox might accidentally rent the wrong movie and give them money. Gotcha. Uh, he directed their I Am Legend movie, I Am Omega. <laughs> oh, man, <clears throat> even use Omega. I love it. <laughs> and then among his other uh, films are the following. Alligator Alley, mm-hmm. Swamp Shark, Nightmare Shark, Ghost Shark, Trailer Park Shark, <laughs> and the one I want to see, Arachnoquake. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, Lake Placid 3 starred Yancey Butler. Oh, I know that name. Uh, she is the female lead in Hard Target and Drop Zone, and she was also Witchblade on the Witchblade TV show. Gotcha. And, uh, Michael Ironside. Oh, Slumming it in this one. Our boy. (laughs) Lake Placid, the final chapter, came out in 2012, also direct to TV. Finally, a good subtitle. (laughs) Directed by Don Michael Paul. Does that name ring a bell? Is that the guy from Airwolf? No. (laughs) I think you're thinking of Jan Michael Vincent. Yes. Thank you. No, Don Michael Paul was the lead in Robot Wars, which we talked about on Do the Herky Jerky. Uh And if you will recall, he went on to have a career directing direct-to-video sequels of like big Hollywood movies. Uh So I know that I named all these the last time we talked about him, but just for fun, here are some of his other conquests. Please. He directed Half Past Dead, which was like his big theatrical film with Steven Seagal. Mm -hmm. Then he directed Jarhead 2 Field of Fire, Sniper Legacy, Tremors (laughs) 5 Bloodlines, Mm. Kindergarten Cop 2 starring Dolph Lundgren, Sniper Ghost Shooter, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Tremors, A Cold Day in Hell, Death Race Beyond Anarchy, The Scorpion King, Book of Souls, Jarhead Law of Return. Oh, God. Bulletproof 2, yes, the sequel to the Adam Sandler, Damon Wayans <sighs> movie. Wow. Which only came out like three years ago. Okay. Uh, and Tremors, Shrieker Island, which I think is like the sixth one. Jeez. <laughs> Yancey Butler came back for this one. Oh? And it also stars Robert Englund, Freddy Krueger himself. Good Lord. Now, the reason I didn't tell you about the last Anaconda sequel... I'm ready. ...is because in 2015, direct to, to TV... Give it to me. ...we have Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Yes. <laughs> I gotta watch it. I have to. And I love that since, you know... Anaconda is the creature. Lake Placid wasn't called like the Lake Placid Croc, <laughs> but it like people people wouldn't recognize the crossover if they didn't have Lake Placid in the title. So it's Snake versus Lake is basically what it is. Amazing. <laughs> directed by A. B. Stone, fake name, <laughs> who directed a film called Saltwater. But when you look at the poster for Salt Saltwater, it's called Atomic Shark. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, Yancey Butler and Robert England came back for this one. Jesus. <laughs> and then uh, just a couple years ago in 2018, also made for TV, Lake Placid Legacy, directed by Daryl Root. And Root has a D in there somewhere. Figure that one out. Of course. He, I, he has directed a fuckload of movies, none of which I've heard of. But he is regarded as South Africa's most prolific film director. I wonder, like, how much can these movies actually make in the long run? I mean, clearly they are making something if they if we've got six Tremors movies. But I don't can't know be that much of a return, right? I mean, the direct to TV stuff for like Sci Fi Channel. I'm guessing that the kind of people who just sit around watching Sci Fi all the time will tune in to watch, like, you know, Sharktopus versus you know, whale gator or whatever the fuck movies they come up with. And so they're just selling like ads. Millie, like did you those... just create whale gator? <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of the name of that movie that I, uh, I sent you the other day. Um, when you were asking me about, uh, movies with more mm -hmm. than one monster in them. Mm -hmm. And it was shark to purse, shark to puss versus some kind of whale creature. <laughs> I forget what it was though. Yeah, I don't think it was whale gator. Cause that's a, no, that's just what popped into my head, but sounds like a legitimate movie, considering hey. how many of those fucking weird crossovers they've made. I mean, Sharktopus. Like, you don't bat an eye at Sharktopus, because everyone's heard about that. Like, how fucking stupid is that? I just want the listeners to know that this was the birth of Stockpile Comics' Whale Gator. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the, of all the... Of all the uh, trips we're going to take, you know, we might as well do one into... Weird animal book. So, <laughs> coming your way in 2023. Whale gator. <laughs> and um, if you had to take a wild stab at the dark in the dark at who appeared in Lake Placid Legacy, a heretofore unnamed actor, just throw a name out there. Who do you think might have been in it? Robert Forrester. No, unfortunately. Oh shit. Joe Pantoliano. <laughs> Jeez, Joey Pants. Yeah, slumming it these days too. I think some people they just gotta keep the insurance, Millsy. They gotta get it, they gotta get in a movie somewhere. Yeah. 
I mean, he was just sitting around waiting for uh, Bad Boys 3 to finally come out because he did come back for that. Screen Actors Guild, man, they must really like not have a big window. You, know, <laughs> you got like two months to get on another picture. Yeah. Joey Pants. <laughs> uh, budget for this one, the best I could find was 27 to $35 million. Okay. And box office was 56.9, which sounds kind of low. Especially considering they made so many goddamn sequels to this movie. That's no Anaconda money, that's for damn sure. Yeah, for damn sure. But, I don't know, I still had a really good time. Hey, it you know, for not knowing anything of what I was getting into, so it's not so much like I was sold uh, an idea, but <laughs> I would think, like, what I do, Gator movie called Lake Placid, let's see, hope it's got a good cast and it's fun. It delivered. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, I just, I just, I, I don't, I wish I could go back and like talk to myself when I first saw it and be like, why did you not enjoy this? I mean, Millsy, everyone's just like a snobby movie person in their 20s, right? <laughs> I definitely saw this. Well, it might have been late 20s, but I mean, hmm. I'm pretty sure I saw this in my 30s. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. All right, so uh, coming, as we said, two weeks later, July 28th, 1999, we have our third and final film, Deep Blue Sea. You think water's fast? You should see ice. It moves like it has a mind. Like it knows it killed the world once. It got a taste for murder. When the avalanche came, it took us a week to climb out. And somewhere... We lost hope. Now, I don't know exactly when we turned on each other. I just know that seven of us survived the slide, and only five made it out. Now, we took an oath that I'm breaking now. Swore that we say it was the snow that killed the other two. But it wasn't. Nature can be lethal. But it doesn't hold a candle to man. Now you've seen how bad things can get, and how quick they can get that way. Well, they can get a whole lot worse. So we're not going to fight anymore! We're going to pull together, and we're going to find a way to get out of here! First, we're going to seal off this Deepest, bluest. My hat is like a shark's fin. <laughs> what is that like? What does that even mean? My hat is like a shark's fin. You know, I while watching this, and definitely towards the end, I was like, I was like, who? What's the involvement with LL Cool G? Like, who owed him a favor? So they put him in this movie, made him, you know, probably the biggest hero character in the whole thing, and gave him the the music tie-in because it's just he's all over the thing. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll get more into the movie itself, but since you bring it up, there's a couple things about LL Cool J and his character. Um, the movie's directed by Rennie Harlan, mm -hmm. who gave us uh, most notably probably Die Hard 2 and Cliffhanger, mm -hmm. uh, but also directed A Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master, uh, Cutthroat Island, known as one of the biggest box office oh, bombs of all time. Right. Uh, Long Kiss Goodnight, Exorcist the Beginning, 12 Rounds with John Cena, and Skip Trace, the movie that brought together Johnny Knoxville and uh, Jackie Chan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, 
And apparently he really pushed for LL Cool J. I don't know if they knew each other beforehand, but he just thought he would be like the perfect person in that role as like the kind of comedic character in the movie. Mm -hmm. And he was supposed to die at some point earlier on, but Rennie Harlan really thought that, you know, he should be like through to the end of the movie, that character. But before that decision was made, Sam Jackson was originally offered the LL Cool J role. And he and Rennie Harlan had worked together before, and Sam Jackson was like, yeah, I'll do it. Hmm. But then from what I was reading, Sam Jackson's management team, quote, didn't like the idea of him playing a chef. (laughs) And so Rennie Harlan had them write the role of, like, the businessman who comes to visit the, you know, aquatic base, specifically for Sam Jackson to get him in the movie. Interesting. Like Sam Jackson wanted to do it, but they were just like, we don't want him to play a chef. So like that role, that character wasn't even in the movie until Sam Jackson was involved. Interesting. So LL Cool J, A, not originally supposed to play that character. B, was supposed to die much earlier. And then he ends up being one of only two people alive at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, part of the reason for that is the lead character arguably in the film is uh, the female lead uh Dr. Susan McAllister played by Saffron Burroughs. Mm-hmm. Uh and her character originally was supposed to live at the end of the movie, but test audiences viewed her as the villain of the film because <laughs> everything that happens is her fault. Yeah. So kill they her. did a one-day reshoot shortly before the release to kill her off and actually removed earlier scenes in the movie that made her more sympathetic. No shit. They made her yeah. more of a villain and killed her. Yeah. And so like that also ties in, I guess, to the whole LL Cool J being like one of the only survivors and one of the heroes because the lead of the movie dies, which feels really strange when you're watching it. Like, did you feel that way? Like, it feels like she's supposed to be her and Tom Jane are supposed to be the ones who survive at the end. And then like LL Cool J like comes out of the rubble like, oh, I survived too. And then they like hug and walk off into the yeah, sunset. Like, it's funny. What made me think of it, which this is a later movie, but like pitch black, it's kind of the same thing. Or like the female lead you think is going to make it all the way to the end. She dies like in the last yeah. five minutes. So I mean, it just made me think of that. That's a good point. But with this, it's just, I don't know. She's not, if she maybe was more of a well-known actress, I think maybe it would have hit me a little harder, but I never, it, it never really like registered to me that she's like the main character. She's one of, I mean, if the, if you had to break down who were the main characters, she's up there, but I mean, you don't think you'd call her the lead? I would still think it was Tom Jane. I think just because of who the actress is, like it just never really like, registered to me as like she's the. I mean, she's the one who like the movie opens on her, and she's like she's in charge of the whole operation, and she's the one who goes to the the businessman and is like arguing like we just give me give me the weekend, and like she's the one performing the experiment, and I feel like they spend a lot of time on her. Like Thomas Jane to me feels more like the side character, like tough guy, like. He's the Hicks to her Ripley or something throughout the majority of the movie. Yeah, yeah, never really registered to me like that. Like, even, like, she kills one of the sharks and Tom Jane never does. <laughs> yeah, she just it never registered to me like that. Just, But yeah, when she dies in the end, it just, it felt like it came out of nowhere to me. So when I read that, I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense because it feels like she was not supposed to die. <laughs> but at the same time, I do get it because it really is all her fault. Like... She was the one who like broke the the, that, the uh, code of like not genetically uh, engineering yeah. and it got everybody killed and 
but even so, like, I it, it felt weird that she died. Like, I don't mind it necessarily, but it definitely caught me by surprise. She is on the poster, too, which is interesting enough. Yeah. I, I really do feel, personally, that, you know, name actress or not, that she's, like, in my eyes, the obvious lead, but, which is why it's so weird that she dies, but... Yeah, I would never even think, like, if you had to say, like, who's the one, who's the main lead of, you know, Deep Blue Sea, I would beforehand and even now I would still save Tom Jane, but I can see why you think that too. But I can also see why people watching that would call for her death. Yeah. I donate it. That's the LL Cool J situation. But oh, um All right. Thank you for clearing that up. It makes sense. <laughs> I love the weird shit that I learn about when mm-hmm. I'm reading about these movies. So like like I said, I saw this way back, remembered not liking it. And in my mind all the years since I saw this in 1999, like over 20 years ago, mm-hmm. if you put me on the spot and were like, what is the general consensus on Deep Blue Sea? I would have said it's a laughing stock. Everybody hates it and thinks that it's stupid. I just, I feel like I remember people joking about it so dumb that like the sharks get smarter and now they can swim backwards and like right. all the, all the silly shit that they do in the movie. But then. Oh. Reading about it and doing the research, like, everything I was reading was, like, surprisingly positive and people calling it, like, the best shark movie since Jaws and all this stuff. And so am I just nuts here? Like, what was your general feeling on the movie before? Beforehand was kind of, like, a goof. Like, I just remembered, like, the L- like goofy in the, like, the L.O. Cool J thing and the Sam Jackson death. I feel like a lot of people, it's always been, like, culturally known as that because I, I don't remember where where or what time he references the shark eating him. I don't know if it's in another movie or it's some interview or it's like on, I don't know, but there's at some point after this movie that Sam Jackson like makes a, makes a joke mm-hmm. about, about dying in this. I can't remember what, what the context is or like where, where he is or what he's talking about. But um, so yeah, kind of a goof. I would never, I would never think like kind of like, um, Anaconda, I just kind of remember seeing this long ago and it just like kind of being there and being like kind of like one of those like throwaway 90s monster movies that I wasn't like crazy mm-hmm. about or anything. Like that was my general feeling on the two of them. To the Sam Jackson thing, that's that's something else that like is part of why I think I always perceived of the movie as like people not liking it and it being kind of a laughing stock and a joke is that this it's almost like a Bernstein Bears kind of situation where my whole life, like, I just remember people telling me this and hearing it multiple times and just assuming it was fact. People saying that he dies in the middle of the movie like that because, like, partway through filming, he was like, this is stupid. I want out of this movie. Mm-hmm. And then they just, like, wrote him out and killed him in the middle just mm-hmm. to, like, get him out of his contract. And stopping to think about it logically, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's right. you know that's not how not, contracts work yeah and it's not how um like movies aren't filmed like you know chronologically so it's like him like wanting out of the movie like doesn't mean that he would just be out in the middle of the film like so it's but that's just always one of those things that i heard and that's just another reason why i always thought like oh well sam jackson thought this movie was stupid and wanted out of it mm-hmm. but I actually read online that that is like an urban legend. That's awesome. <laughs> that has been perpetuated over the years when in actuality Sam Jackson has said in interviews that he loves horror movies and was excited to have like a, when he read 
the updated script after they changed him from the LL Cool J character and he read the part where he like surprisingly suddenly dies in the middle of the film. He was like excited about it. Like I, I get to be eaten by a shark. Dude. So it's like it's the exact opposite of like what everybody has always said. Sam Jackson is a national treasure. <laughs> but that's just more fuel for that fire yeah. that I thought that the movie yeah. was hated, but it seems like actually it's got a pretty decent reputation, which surprises me still. Um, just real quick, I had to look it up, but what I was referencing about him talking about being eaten by the shark, it's actually Dave Chappelle as Sam Jackson on the <laughs> Chappelle show in one of the skits, and he's talking about the shark eating me. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that kind of plays into the cultural factor of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of it, Mills, this time around? Well, again, going in thinking like this was a real stinker and everybody has always thought so, even though it's apparently not true. I did find that I enjoyed it more than I was expecting to. Uh, I didn't have as big of a turnaround on it as I feel like I did like Placid. Mm-hmm. I still think the movie, it feels a little long and drawn out at times. I don't feel like I love the characters all that much. Like I can feel like what they're getting at with like LL Cool J is like the, the uh, like source of humor and potentially like budding romance between like the intelligent scientist woman and like the hard edged, like man, a few words, tough guy, Tom Jane. And then like the corporate guy with Sam Jackson, almost Mm -hmm. like, potentially Burke in aliens as like representing Mm -hmm. like the bigger picture. Um, Like I feel all of those elements, but I don't think kind of like the opposite of all the big personalities we were talking about in like Placid or like how good John Voight is in his particular kind of role in, um, in Anaconda. I don't think anybody is great in this. Like Sam Jackson is Sam Jackson, you know, he's, he's pretty much always likable, Mm -hmm. but his character isn't like great. And LL Cool J I actually think is quite bad in the movie. Yeah, I think he's actually annoying. So Yeah. Tom Jane, you know, he's the man a few words tough guy. He serves his purpose fine, but mm-hmm. and then Saffron Burroughs, like I, I don't know if she's like a a good actress, a bad actress. I just feel like her character is kind of weird and confused and not written particularly well. So I feel like this movie is missing that cast that could have brought it up a lot. So it just felt like a lot of tedium, a lot of running back and forth to different places. Mm-hmm. So like it, it was definitely better than I remembered, but not to like a huge degree. Yeah. This is the first movie I watched. This is actually the one I when I texted you saying I don't think I should be having as much fun as I am. I thought it might be this one. <laughs> Because I was just, I was, I also too was just like expecting to kind of go through the motions, which it still kind of does. But it also made me think of, it's not on the level of Leviathan or, um, you know, those kind of like at sea sci-fi movies. But mm-hmm. it just like kind of like it gives off like kind of a similar feeling. But I think probably like the best point you made too is like the it's got a big cast. I mean, everyone you mentioned, Michael Rappaport's even there, Stellan Skarsgård. Right, right. I, I mean, about there's him. like a there's a big cast. Like this one, it all counts towards this whole trifecta of just having these stacked casts. But I don't think the the characters are as good. And like you said, it's kind of just like them going through the motions. Yep, it's just a lot of running around. It is too long. I think I think the other ones, 
Lake Placid is only like 80 minutes or like 82 <laughs> minutes, which is fucking amazing. Yeah. Anaconda, I think, is 90 minutes. This is an hour 45 and you kind of feel it. I think even like just the way you described Saffron Burroughs, like maybe that's just why it still just doesn't even register to me as a as a main character because she's such a dud of a character to be. That um, yeah, I still had a lot more fun than I was expecting. Kind of just playing into like the sci-fi, anything that's like oh we're just the idea on paper of yeah we're just uh you know we're growing big sharks because it's mm-hmm. gonna we're gonna cure Alzheimer's <laughs> you know how oh, that could get out of control. I mean that's like a crazy idea, but I I'm kind of here for it. And oh totally, totally. Like the the first act I was like in, I was kind of sold. Like mm-hmm. you know just the whole setup of the concept and learning the complex. Like that is something that I really like in a like a sci-fi horror kind of one location sort of movie like this is that setup and like the kind of bullshit science explanation Mm -hmm. of everything and like then things go bad and then it's just that's when it gets into that kind of tedious like we could have shortened it up and tightened it up a bit kind of thing yeah like i think what i texted you it might have been the scene I don't know if it was before this or just right before this or it was this scene, but it's like when real hell breaks loose. They're trying to ship uh, Stellan Skarsgård off of the uh, mm-hmm. helicopter. The helicopter crashes. It just like gets out of it fast. And I was just like, again, I was there for it. I was like, this this movie's fucking ridiculous. But I'm like, I could dig it. I think uh, it doesn't take advantage of that longer runtime after that. Yeah. It kind of it peters out. I feel like um, the CG in this one is a little worse than the other two. It is. Just about every time you see the sharks for the most part, because they're like super sharks. So they're always doing things that like, you know, normal shark is normally just like swimming around unless it's Mm -hmm. attacking something. But there's a lot of like the sharks grab someone in their mouth and then they're like, I don't know how to describe it. It almost doesn't look like they're actually in water. The way that they're moving around real fast, like when they grab someone and they're almost like like, shaking them. Yeah. When a dog like shakes a toy back and forth with his head and then like the body comes apart in their mouth like it, it just doesn't register visually to me that it's actually physically underwater or something. I was going to say, because I think the problem with this one, it's the CG is bad, but it's the animation that's bad in this one. Yeah. The other ones, like the movement is good, but it's just, it's that final that final sheen that goes on top of a CG character where in this one, it's the animation is just bad. Whenever you see a shark kind of doing anything, it looks pretty bad. There's a few like different shots of like almost in the shadow of seeing like sharks moving about. And it just looks bad. It looks like mm-hmm. shark. What a seed of sharknado. It looks like that, <laughs> like that gold level. Yeah. So I think there's some animatronic, practical shark action in this maybe like in the kitchen scene yeah they definitely did build a real shark because i read in some of the behind the scenes stuff about how like it was really impressive to see in person and Mm -hmm. you know based on how uh you know how much trouble they had with uh the shark and jaws like they'd come a long way and like it worked really well underwater but i just don't know how much they actually used it because yeah. a lot of it is like wide shots of these sharks like darting around and right. looks bad. doing things that are obviously aren't an animatronic when it first like that scene where they bites off Stellan Skarsgård's arm i'm sure that's just a big animatronic one there mm. that did look fine i think 
there's there's some shots when it's like swimming in the hallways and stuff was probably real looked pretty real but yeah yeah big wide shots or big movement just looked the animation was rough it was not animated well so mm-hmm. yeah yeah it take definitely got uh knocked down a few pegs with that stuff and then by the end i remember like that last shark when it's trying to get out Mm-hmm. Um, just the whole plan of like, we couldn't just shoot it with an explosive or something. We have to <laughs> right, zap it. We have to rig up this thing where we shoot it and then we have to connect a wire to a battery to blow mm-hmm. it up. And it, mm-hmm. I just remember it all feeling really tedious and just, yeah. you know, like you can't just do, oh, we threw a gas tank at it and shot it because that's basically Jaws. But all right. I don't know. Hit it with an RPG come up with or something. something. Yeah. Yeah, just some, anything better than the the old uh, car battery explosion, I guess. <laughs> and something else that I don't know, I still have a little trouble with with this movie that makes it feel kind of dumb to me is I like the whole explanation of like there's this enzyme in a shark's brain that if we can extract it, we can use to cure like human brain diseases or whatever. But a shark's brain is so small that like it needs to be bigger so that we can extract enough fluid or whatever like that whole idea okay i'm i'm here for Mm -hmm. but it's like if you watch a movie like aliens and there's that moment where the power goes out and they're like they cut the power and hudson's like how could they cut the power man they're animals like it's a it's a fake creature that like you know we have to take everything for granted about them because it's completely made up same thing with tremors where like as the movie goes on, the graboids start to like figure things out and they're like burrowing under the building to like bring a building down because they know from the vibrations that the people are on top of it or mm-hmm. they stop falling for the dynamite gag after a while. But again, they're completely made up creatures. But like the idea of this is a shark, but it's smart enough that it's like hurting the people and like forcing them to gradually flood the the base yeah. to make it sink so it can get out over the fence like it's just it's too like much. a little too corny and like i just can't fully get on board with the idea that's too much that because that's you know now it's like it uh, oh so it understands english like it can hear them talking you know like yeah it's just it's like it's not Maybe if they, like, defined it better or had, like, another kind of gobbledygook sci-fi scene where, like, you know, Stellan Skarsgård is explaining, like, how and why the sharks are smarter and, like, how they learn or something. I don't know. It's just the movie still, to me, feels really dumb. (laughs) It is. I mean, I can... And I mean, I've, dumb can be fun. Sure. It's not like uh, Lake Placid is like an intelligent piece of right. art or something, but that's more of a corny movie where this one's like taking itself a little too seriously to be as yeah. stupid as it is. Right. Like you can do all those things without even it does. To me, it doesn't even need an explanation that it's like, oh, it's hurting us, so we'll we'll sink this thing for it. Like that's just unnecessary. You could, it could still just be a shark that wants to eat people, and then it's going to try and find its way out when when you get to the surface too. Like that's mm-hmm. a much more clean and easy explanation than them yeah that's just that doesn't it does adds nothing it takes away it takes away by them saying that so and it's also even like i mean the whole idea of like you've got the ocean this gigantic ocean like 70 percent of the the planet or whatever and they're concerned about a single smart shark getting out like okay maybe it is a better killing machine but like one shark in the entirety of the ocean like it like it it feels like there should have been more at stake like they should have talked about how like 
it'll it'll breed smart sharks or something like mm-hmm. just the idea of this single shark getting loose in the ocean is like the end of the fucking world and they have to stop it by any means necessary and blow it up it oddly feels like if it was like trapped in a lagoon somewhere near a community say, or, yeah, i don't know I was, something yeah. i was just gonna say if it was like yeah, somewhere that it would like be a, an instant threat to others. Yeah, they it's needed a, a scene sense. where they talked about like the environmental effect of this one shark changing the ecosystem or something. Right. Like, right? It or yeah, like something it gets out and it kill like something. Some hormone gets out and kills all sharks or something. Yeah, like, something like that. It just it the whole thing just feels. I'm with you. I don't know. Over compl- This is overcomplicated. Overcomplicated and underthought. Yeah. Or something like that's a pretty good that's pretty good <laughs> yeah but i mean okay so the backstory behind where this movie came from maybe explains why it's so like dumb and like scattershot uh so this is another one where there's three writers listed mm-hmm. two of them donna and wayne powers aren't like the biggest names in the industry but they also wrote a like late 90s early 2000s slasher movie called valentine and they wrote the remake of The Italian Job with uh, Edward Norton. Mm-hmm. But then the other writer is a guy named Duncan Kennedy, who if you look him up, he's pretty much just this movie. Okay. And the reason for that is uh, this film was conceived of by Duncan Kennedy, who after experiencing the gruesome aftermath of a shark attack on a beach near his home, had a dream about being trapped in a corridor with a shark that could read his mind. <laughs> I wish it was that movie. <laughs> so he wrote a script about it. I don't have any more details on that script. I wish I do. And it was bought by Warner Brothers in 1994. And then Warner Brothers basically just kept giving it to other writers to rewrite over and over and over again, like trying to find the right story for this like shark movie. Mm-hmm. And then the the two other credited writers who wrote the final draft, Donna and Wayne Powers, they basically said that whatever it was when that dude Duncan Kennedy came up with it, by the time it got to them, it was a like a high-tech action movie with a lot of military espionage and grenade launchers and stuff. And they decided that they would rather make it about like a group of blue-collar people who are like workers instead of soldiers. And they wanted it to be more of like a close-quarters horror film than like an alien-style action movie. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of rewrote it to turn it into what it is. Okay. So it just sounds like one of those things where someone had an inkling of an idea that the studio liked, but then they meddled with it and meddled with it and meddled with it until we ended up with this. Yeah, feels like it. Yeah. So, like, there's some cool ideas in there, but, uh, and it is better than I remember, but it did, it did not all come together for me in the end. Yeah, I'm with you. I do now wish it was just like a shark that could read minds. Because <laughs> that's scary. Yeah. I mean, that's legit scary. That's like the, you know, the scariest creature in the sea, and it also knows what you think. <laughs> yeah, I for mean. sure. Let's circle back around Hollywood and make that one. <laughs> uh, real Mako sharks average eight to 15 feet in length. The quote-unquote Gen 2 Mako in this movie was 45 feet long, so that's quite a big shark. That's a lot of shark. Yeah. And just a fun anecdote, uh, you you surely know that uh, like back around this time, Stephen King was like out jogging or riding a bike and got hit by a van and almost died. Yes. 
This was the first movie he saw in the theater after his accident, and about it he said, quote, My first trip after being smacked by a van and almost killed was to the movies. I went in my wheelchair and loved every minute of it. <laughs> All right. So Stephen King just happy to be alive or a legitimate fan of Deep Blue Sea? I don't know. Ooh. Will we ever know? <laughs> Budget of 60 to 82 million, box office of 165. So again, more well-liked and be- more successful than I ever thought it was. Yeah. Doubled. Yeah. A lot of big, big budget, but doubled. So, mm-hmm. all right. And uh, this one, just like the others, did not get away with no sequels. So, hit me. Deep Blue Sea 2, all the way in 2018, direct to video. Yikes. Directed by Darren Scott, who's actually a legit horror director. He made uh, From a Whisper to a Scream in the late 80s, Stepfather 2, and Tales from the Hood, mm. as well as Menace to Society. Ah, okay. Uh, nobody of note in that one, but then, uh, in 2020, so again, just a couple years ago, direct a video, Deep Blue Sea 3, directed by John Pogue, uh, the writer of U.S. Marshall's The Rollerball Remake and Ghost Ship, which I know you just watched recently, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and one of the executive producers of the original Fast and the Furious. How about that? And he's also getting on in the, uh... Uh, he's getting into the sequels to older movies game. Along with Deep Blue Sea, he also directed Eraser Reborn. Oh, boy. Which I'm pretty sure you can find in the discount aisle of Walmart right now, because <laughs> I've seen it there. That's on a streaming service right now, because I've seen it a bunch of times recently. Yeah. I think it's on H- HBO Max. A movie I never thought was going to get a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> and um, starring... Uh, Tanya Raymonds, who I never would have known who the hell that was. She was uh, Russo's daughter on Lost. Russo? Okay. Russo, the woman who yep, was like yep. stuck on the island all that time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ben like kidnapped her daughter and raised her as right. his own. Oh, yeah. I think she gets killed by the smoke monster in like season four. <laughs> hmm. I do recall. Yeah. So that's what she's up to. Okay. Good for her. So... Uh, and real quick before we move on, Saffron Burroughs, who has been much talked about in this review. Do you recall she was on a previous episode of Triple Threat Theater? I don't. She's like the uh, the big head honcho woman in charge in Wing Commander. Oh, okay. So I don't right. blame you for forgetting her. Thank you. But but yeah, like okay. in this movie, I thought she looked familiar and it must just be like from this movie and the poster because <laughs> she is right there on the poster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was thinking like, oh, who is she? I just don't remember her name. And then I saw Saffron Burroughs and I was like, I don't recognize that name at all. She was in uh, Frida, Troy, Rain Over Me with Will Smith and The Bank Job with Jason Statham, like some biggish movies, but <laughs> okay, yeah, just like not a name I really know. All right. So Roger that. Deep blue sea. Holla. <laughs> Deepest, bluest. My head is like a shark's fin. Stupid. I just, what is that fucking, what it's, lyrics, man? It's, it's, just, it's just, it's just a shame that there was no rapper in uh, Lake Placid as well, because oh, we had Ice Cube oh, and please. Anaconda. Tell me about it. That would have been great. That would have been perfect. That would have been the perfect. The yeah. last, the last thing this trifecta needed was another rapper actor. <laughs> The Rizza in black in Lake Placid. 
amazing. I mean, I would have taken him over Bill Pullman. <laughs> oh man, if it was him <laughs> instead of Bill Pullman. <laughs> As like the, like the, uh, like wildlife and game, game guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh shit. That would have been amazing. I'd pay money for that. Yeah. He like karate chops the croc at oh, some point. Oh, forget it. <laughs> well, Mills. Mm-hmm. Let's talk some posties. All right. Uh, Anaconda. Pretty, pretty downplayed, pretty simple, but I like it. I, I hate the top tagline, but I love the artwork. Yeah. Are they like purposefully playing on uh, the tagline of Alien? This one is when you can't breathe, you can't scream. Yes, but the, it also just like doesn't fit with the rest of the poster. Like the, I think the font looks bad. It, it's not a great pick. The color's off. Like it, th- that feels like they added, someone else added that on top of whoever made the original poster. It was just the eyes, mm-hmm. the title, and the one tagline. Yeah. Which is kind of a bummer for me, but I like the artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like the a black void with like the uh, like the the eyes and part of the face of the snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they're really like pushing the it'll choke you and shit, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that that top tagline is not doing it any favors. You know what this poster reminds me of is? Uh, do you remember the poster for the shadow? I do. Where it was just like all black, but with I think like the green mm-hmm. green mask in the middle, like a shiny. It's his eyes are green. Yeah, that's just kind of what it reminds me of being like so centralized, something in the black void in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then that text at the top, it the green and just that font really makes me think of the old, uh, the original live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie poster. Yeah, that looks like it should say like Secret of the Ooze. It's just like like a, a tall, thin font like that mm-hmm. in green. That's like exactly like the Ninja Turtles yeah. poster. Just doesn't looks like the top line looks squished, the bottom line looks stretched. Like just looks bad. Yeah. But yeah, I mean of the two I would take, it'll take your breath away. It's not great, it's not necessary, yeah. but it's okay. You know, it's better than that top one, which feels mm-hmm. like it's trying too hard. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Uh Lake Placid, I actually don't recognize this poster like i don't know if i've ever seen it before i am more familiar with i guess it's like a vhs box where it's like does it look like jaws almost yeah like most of the the frame like rising up Mm -hmm. towards you yeah i wasn't really familiar with any of it just like the movie but yeah this this did look like something i had not seen before but yeah seemingly on imdb this was the only one that actually looked like the movie poster yeah i mean it, it looks like it um, I'm like I said, I j- I'm just not familiar with it. Um, they they like go for it and show you like the whole croc and like how big it is basically yeah, on the poster. I kind of like that. I think it's I think it's like too tight with the title. Yeah, it's like kind of interesting that they tried to make it overlapping the title, but it's just like as much big empty space as there is in this, it's yeah, like it's really crowded right there. Yeah, if they because I even like like the tree line in the back. If they just spaced all that out a little bit more, I think it would have been a lot better. I mean, they should have just taken what's the tagline in the middle say? You'll never know what bit you. Okay, yeah. that's kind of funny, especially considering it's like a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. But like, take that out and put Lake Placid in the middle of the lake where there's a little more breathing room. Yeah, maybe. totally. It's funny how similar this one actually is to Deep Blue Sea because it's like you know female lead kind of 
closer up in the water, you know, mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. the creature behind her. Not the same layout or anything, but like having not been familiar with this one when I saw it, it just made me think of the Deep Blue Sea poster. Yeah. But yeah, aside from the the text placement, I think this one's okay. I yeah. kind of like it. Actually, and I kind of like the text treatment with that like white with just mm-hmm. the red above it. Yeah, I how do you feel about this though? Like it is, it's for some reason it's a little jarring to me that they show like so much of the the crock like lengthwise across a tall poster like this. Like I almost think it would have been better, more effective, more interesting looking if kind of where the tagline is in the middle, it was just like the head of the crocodile. You know how like the mm-hmm. the, the top of their head will peek out of the water. Yeah, showing mm-hmm. how big it is compared to her and putting it right behind her. Yeah, or I'd even like like a circular kind of motif, but like maybe just have some tail and the head poking out so you could get an idea. You could like connect the dots and be like, oh, mm-hmm. that's a big ass gator. Like you said, without showing the whole thing. But like if they did that and put it more like down oh, in totally. the middle of the poster, then they could leave the title kind of where it is and it wouldn't feel so crowded. Totally, 100%. So it's like, it's good, not great. Right. And it's probably, uh, yeah, designed by committee a bit, I think. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then Deep Blue Sea, familiar with this one? I feel like this is one of those ones that was on uh, com- every comic that came out for one yeah. month back in 1999. Yep. Never liked this, that blurry fucking giant shark in the background. Mm-hmm. Just white text. It's kind of boring white text, bigger, smarter, faster, meaner. Okay, that's fine, but. Yeah. Yeah, just no, no, taking no chances, just doesn't even make sense in the movie because it's like what we're this is not a scene from the movie mm-hmm. the logo is like the title logo very boring just yeah, like white boring. block letters right right just uh dull very yeah. dull. just all in all just this rather than like a big budget theatrical film this looks like one of those like direct to sci-fi channel mm-hmm. movie posters mm-hmm just boring there's no color it's very great it's very washed out yeah it's not nearly as ugly as some things we've seen in the past but just, <laughs> sure just, just a complete bore yeah just completely boring. snooze fest break it down for the people millsy baby you know what being the uh final episode of the season oh let's mix things up <gasps> i want to hear your breakdown oh holla okay um anaconda good not great i'll give it four regurgitated bodies <laughs> the more John Voigt's, the better. Yeah. Lake Placid. Okay, not great. Could easily could use some work and be a lot better, but you could say that about a lot of things. <laughs> I'll give that uh, three severed thumbs, like they find in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then T Blue C. Do it. Yeah, no, I guess I just want to give it like uh, I'm not like I give it one. Boring car battery. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing about that is I don't know if a car battery in the history of man has ever been referred to as boring before, but I'm here. I'm, I'm digging it. It fits. I'm right? digging it. Works. it. Very good. All right. All right. Well done. Thank you, sir. You as well. It's nice to take a, an episode off every now and then. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Hey, um, that was fun. The Millsy system. All right. Uh, bye, Bar Burn. Bye, Barbara Burn Mills. Um, I think we're going to match up here, but uh, let's see where fate takes us.
Okay. Um, shall I go first or shall sure. you? Sure. You go first. All right. I'm sure we're going to match on uh, Deep Blue Sea being the the burn mm-hmm. because it is better than I remembered. But again, like all the things we just said, it's still kind of average. Yep. Like I didn't have a huge reaction to it. Just more like more than anything, just being like, huh, I'm surprised it's it's OK. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, much room for improvement. Maybe they improved on it with like Placid 2 or 3, but I doubt I'll ever find out. Will we find out? No. (laughs) Maybe in um, When Animals Attack 2, the attacking. (laughs) You asked for it. Nobody asked for it. Uh... So it comes down to Anaconda and like Placid. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if I'm as confident as you that we're going to match up because Ooh. I'm going to buy Lake Placid okay. personally. I don't hate it. Because I just, I, I feel like I went from just like a really low expectation to having like a whole new outlook on the movie. And, you know, it is just, Anaconda is a lot of fun. Uh, John Voight is a big reason for that. But just that whole feeling of, like, small town, the group of oddball people coming together and, like, trying to science this thing out and just that that feeling of a movie. Like I said, it's very reminiscent of, like, small town horror movies like Tremors or Killer Clowns from Outer Space or The Blob. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really dug that. And, you know, Bill Pullman is a little bit of a wet noodle in this one for me, but, like, the other three lead actors – more than pick up the slack there. Betty White's a lot of fun. Um, there's some cool gory stuff in there. And uh, yeah, so that's going to be my buy. Uh, I, like I actually, I think it's available from one of the boutique Blu-ray distributors that I buy movies from. And I just passed up on it on a recent sale because I was like, ah, I don't like that movie that much. And oh, now I wish I had boy. <laughs> oh, Gotta catch them all. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure I'll pick it up at some point. But uh, then my borrow is going to be Anaconda, which I did really enjoy. It didn't have like the Cinderella story for me that Anaconda or that uh, that like Placid did. Mm-hmm. But um, really enjoyable. Love the practical stuff. The CG is pretty good for the time. Uh, fun cast. John Voight is next level in this. But um, yeah, I really think that I was just like so surprised by like Placid that I'm like inclined to give that one the bump so anaconda not hating on it it's the borrow i do own it (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah lake Placid's gonna get the buy i dig it no hate here milzy you're right we don't match up but uh your reasoning is very sound deep blue sea is an easy burn um it just doesn't stack up against the other two yep more fun than i expected but where's its faults on its sleeve. Lake Placid's going to be my borrow. Also, you know, went in knowing not a damn thing. Had a ton of fun. Anaconda is my buy. I want to buy it. I think I will add it to my, like, slate of Halloween monster movies I watch every year. Because <laughs> it feels like lightning in a bottle that would never be made the same way twice. And I just found it to be so fun and out there. And... Really, I just consider ourselves lucky to have John Voight playing this character <laughs> to be in a film or to just somehow work. <laughs> so that that's what does it for me. 
He is something in that film. I just, it's, it's just like kind of a joy. It just brought, it brought joy to me to watch that. <laughs> that I was not expect, especially for not expecting that at all. Like having yeah. zero expectations for Lake Placid, but then expectations for this just being like, I've seen it before. I mean, I think I'll think I'll, you know, it was fine, but then to actually come away and be like, man, like I actually want to purchase this now. So. Mm-hmm. And that's me with Lake Placid. Yeah, there we go. It's a good see this trifecta. It's a good time all around, baby. Mm-hmm. So, that being said, next season, season seven. <laughs> I know. Seven. Crazy. Millsy. Seven. <laughs> well, on our way to ten. Man, I mean, we get these ideas going. You know, I'd say most of the listeners know us otherwise and we just we come up with these little projects together and you know we've done it a couple times and just to think that the the amount of time effort years we put into this thing we're like coming up on season seven gotta love it (laughs) yeah so we'll be back in uh six weeks after a slightly extended hiatus Mm -hmm. but uh in the meantime, you get to ponder what three movies we're going to be talking about because we got to mm-hmm. throw it over to random number Jenny and uh, find out what it's going to be for the uh, the premiere of season seven. We have 240 possible trifectas. Mills? Mm-hmm. 37. I don't even need to say it anymore. It's like a fucking <laughs> catchphrase at this point. <sighs> All right, so... <laughs> Uh, I'm looking forward to this one uh, for the premiere of season seven, episode 73 of Triple Threat Theater. We're going to be talking fire and rain. Fire and rain. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's going to guess us. I'd love to see them try. I love it. Uh, I've actively wanted to rewatch some of these. Uh, uh, third one I've never seen. Same. I think I think I know what movie it is. I definitely know what movie it is. And then the other two I've seen once. Personally, a uh, big fan of the first one. I can see that being the case. And uh, the other one I've seen like two, three times maybe. But Oh, so yeah. Third one, not was not thinking it was this. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> I don't even know what this is. <laughs> I've always wanted to see the third one. But heretofore uh, have not. So Okay. All right. None of those clues probably help anybody. No, no, but, this is uh, just us. This is just us. Yeah. Fire and rain. Uh, I think it's going to be a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm ready. So, all right. Well, uh, congratulations on another season in the bag. Congratulations to you, friend. Thank you. So, I'm ready to rock. This is Triple Death Theater. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, 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 happy.